Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. The megalomaniacal monument. There wasn't any dispute before 1998. There was no controversy about the matter whatsoever. Everyone knew that Chicago's Sears Tower was the undisputed tallest building in the world. But that was before the twin Petronas Towers of Malaysia. While they were 20 stories less than the Sears Tower, they stand because of these spires 33 feet taller. So which building is really taller? The building that's taller or the shorter building with the architectural spires that makes it taller? It was, it was a contest. It was a controversy between the Chicago's Sears Tower and the Petronas Towers in Malaysia. In fact, there was so much controversy bragging and fighting over who actually had the tallest edifice. There was a regulatory board formed the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat to settle the dispute. Multiple categories were established. The tallest building with an antenna, the tallest building without antenna, the highest occupied floor, and so on and so forth. So everybody could have their category and call themselves the winner. Well, the controversy's over again because the tallest building today is now 2,717 feet tall, found in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. It opened January the 4th, 2010. It is way taller than any other man-made structure ever built. It boasts of a hundred and sixty occupied stories. That's five of our tallest building plus a margin. It takes all the prizes now. We don't even need the board anymore. Tallest building in the world, tallest freestanding structure in the world, highest number of stories in the world, highest occupied floor in the world, highest observation deck with an outdoor terrace in the world, elevator with the longest travel distance in the world, and on and on the records go. You think we have a little bit of skyscraper complex these days? Has no one read the story in Genesis chapter 11 about the tall tower of Babel. What happens when men try to build these megalomaniacal structures? When we try to build buildings that break all the records. Buildings that say, look at me. Look what I've done. This is a monument to our power and our ingenuity. Our intelligence. Well, the first ever skyscraper comes right here in Genesis chapter 11. 
Now, remember, in those days, there were no cranes to lift up the big pieces. There were no workable elevators, construction elevators on the side of the building to carry the materials up. It was just men making the most out of the mud bricks that they had fired in the furnace. It was hard work to build a tower in those days. Why this story? Perhaps in Genesis chapter 10, we have the list of the table of nations. And maybe you're wondering, where did all these nations come from with these different languages? Well, perhaps chapter 11 served to answer that question. How did the people start speaking different languages, and how did we have new nations? Well, if you have that question in your mind in chapter 10, it's answered in the very next chapter in chapter 11. The first thing I want you to see is this. Megalomaniacal monuments focus on the creation rather than the creator. The problem with the tower in Genesis 11 is it focuses on what creation can do and not what the creator has already done and commanded. Notice humankind has moved to the east, the land of Shinar. Genesis 10.10, you'll see that is a forename of the place of Babylon. Well, look at verses 3 and 4. And they said one to another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Thus will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Do you notice the oddity of all the first-person plural pronouns and references in these verses? Look in verse 3. Let us. Verse 4. Let us. Let us again. Verse 4. Ourselves. Verse 4. And we. Verse 4. There is no focus on God or what God would desire. Rather, it is what we ourselves want to do to make a name for ourselves. Let us, we, me, myself, and I, says humanity. Scholar N.T. Wright has summarized the spiritual selfishness of the tower builders thusly. Those who are supposed to be reflecting God's image in the world, that is human beings, are instead looking into mirrors of their own. Arrogant and insecure, they have become self-important. You see, humanity was created in the image of God, male and female created in the image of God. We are to, to manage and steward creation. We're to be a reflection of God over all His creation. He wanted us to scatter to be the stewards of creation. Instead of reflecting God's image and God's creation, they were looking in mirrors of their own. Let us build a name for ourselves. Look at what we can do and we have done. We have reached heaven. We are like God. We've gone up to God. They became arrogant, insecure, says right, and thus self-important. They weren't concerned about worshiping God or obeying the commandments of God. God had commanded them in Genesis 1, I want you to scatter, be fruitful, and multiply. 
And after Noah, later with Noah's family, God repeated that commandment. You need to scatter, be fruitful, and multiply. But instead of scattering to fill the earth, they were gathering to build a monument to themselves. They had missed the very command of God to be created in the image of God, to be stewards of creation, and to scatter throughout God's creation. At the end of the day, pride is a sin of every atheist. Those with pride think they are self-made men or self-made women. Not God-made men or God-made women. Once again in this story, you see that creation has forgotten her creator. The demands and commands of the one who has made them is not important anymore. They want to do what they want to do. They want to be like God. Like Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They want to build a tower that will reach heaven to make a name, not a name for their God, not to glorify God, but to make a name for ourselves. They wanted to be the master of their own ship, the captain of their own fate. We need to learn two things quickly in life. Number one, there is a God. Number two, we are not that God. Number one, there is a God. And number two, we are not that God. Pride has this terrible tendency to place us at the center of our own created universe, the center of our own lives. When God and God alone is the one who should be occupying the throne. Of all the sins in Scripture, pride is so horrendous to God that it is the only sin that calls forth resistance and opposition from God himself. James 4, 6, repeated again in 1 Peter 5, 5, readers are warned, God is opposed to the proud. Doesn't even say God is opposed to the liar or the fornicator. God, the only sin, God is opposed. God himself is in opposition of the proud. Why? Why this sin? Because it is the first of all sins. Pride is that sin that is directed to the face of God. Thus, it is listed not as the last of the deadly sins, but it is listed as the first of the deadly sins because it is the sin that births all other sin. Isn't that the sin of Adam and Eve? We will eat from the fruit in the middle of the garden because we want to be like God. God knows when you eat the fruit, you will be like God. Adam and Eve do not want to be creation. They want to be co-creator. They had pride and it started the downfall of all of us. We're prideful, we say. I ought to be. I can be. By rights, I am my own God. One counselor told the story of a 17-year-old girl who was coming to him. His name is Dr. William Backus to put her life together again. 
She had two children already at age 17 and put one up for adoption. By age 14, she was promiscuous, involved with drugs and alcohol. She was currently living with a man, her boyfriend, she was planning to marry. Dr. Bacchus suggested that one beginning to rebuilding her life would be to obey the commands of God and get back on track. He suggested to her that she not sleep with her boyfriend until after he became her husband. That would put her life back within the commandments of God. Her response was telling. She said, and I reply, I don't believe in God that much, she said. Now, you might not like her answer, but at least she was honest. She realized that there was a being called God, but she had no intention of allowing God's rules and God's commands to take away her own autonomy. She was saying, I don't really think what God thinks best for me is better than what I think is best for me. I will sit on my own throne. I will be my own God. I will be proud. And I will live according to thus saith me myself. So it was in these early chapters of Genesis. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's don't follow the commands of the Creator, but let's make a monument to man. Perhaps in this early culture, this is precursor to Babylon, right where Babylon will be. They were building something as similar of a temple tower that was later known as a Babylonian ziggurat. This imperial embodiment of pride and self-sufficiency. In fact, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, in the area of Marduk's, the evil god sanctuary, there was a seven-story tower with a temple atop that stood tall for all to see. This ziggurat. Maybe this is a forerunner of that Babylonian temple tower. Genesis implies that nothing similar had ever been built before. This was the first skyscraper of humanity. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. This behemoth building, this tall tower, was an act of disobedience. This behemoth building, this tall tower, was an act of disobedience. God had told them to fill the earth. God had told them to scatter. Humankind is afraid of scattering and takes action to prevent it. Therefore, against God's will, they build the tower, but God against their will comes down to scatter them. God wills that the earth be peopled everywhere. Humankind should be attentive to all parts of creation, working in his image to enhance the whole creation. But instead, humankind is trying to establish a false sense of unity, to establish a human oneness without any reference to the threats or the promises or the mandates of the Creator. This is a self-made unity which would proceed from a fortress, a tall tower mentality. We must ask ourselves this morning as a church, are we missional in our message? Are we actively spreading the gospel beyond the boundaries of our buildings? 
Do we have the attitude of the inhabitants of Shinar here? Our tower's been built. Look at what we've done. Lots, lots of luck to the rest of you. Have we formed relationships with the lost in order to be redemptive? Will we hoard the gospel within the walls of this space, this sacred space? I think there's a parallel found in Acts. In fact, it's uncanny how much these early chapter Genesis, well, how it parallels the early chapters of Acts, the first chapters of the church. You remember in Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascends, he tells the church after Pentecost, they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. When we get to Acts 8.11, the church still hasn't scattered. I want you to start here in Jerusalem. I want you to broaden to Judea. I want you to go to your enemies in Samaria. But I want you to go to all inhabited lands. Acts 1. But, but in Acts 8, they're still all huddled in Jerusalem. And so God brings a persecuted church in the person of Paul. God's using Paul before Paul was committed to God. When the persecution comes to Jerusalem, the believers scatter. They travel 300 miles up to Antioch. A mission center is begun. And because of the persecution, God forces his believers to be scattered, to begin in Jerusalem, but to go to all the earth. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Man's efforts are laughable in the sight of an almighty God. Look at verse 5. Man's efforts are laughable in the sight of an almighty God. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, don't you see the irony of this? They were building a tower up into the heavens. They were going to reach God with their tall building. They were going to be like God with their tall building. And, and God hears a little rumbling and God says, I can't see what they're doing. I'm so far up here. I'll have to come down to take a look and see what our creatures are doing. Reminds me of the little girl who was riding up the elevator, the Empire State Building. She was a tourist, and you know, the elevator goes up and up and up, and around floor 60, her, her stomach got queasy, and her ears started popping, and the little girl clinging to her father's hand says, but Daddy, does God know we're coming this morning? <laughs> they thought they were going as high as heaven. The reality is, congregation, not this Babylonian behemoth, not even the Empire State Building or any building made by man has ever been able to reach the heavens of God. In fact, as tall as their tower might have been, God could not see them from where God dwells and God had to come down. The divine court had to come down to see what was going on. God has a, a long history of finding us and keeping tabs of what we're doing. There was a church consultant by the name of Kelly Fryer. She said there was a time when she was in seminary and it was so beautiful outside. All teachers can relate to this story. It was so beautiful outside. 
And all the students, even these graduate seminary students, wanted to be outside. They were looking out the window. Nobody was paying attention to the seminary professor whatsoever. And he sensed that he had lost his audience to the sunshine on the outside. And so he turned to the chalkboard. He took the chalk sideways. He made a big, long, down, vertical line. At the end, he put an arrow tip. So a long arrow pointing down the chalkboard. And he said, if you learn this, you will know all that you need to know about God. If you learn this, you'll learn all you need to know about God. Frustrated, he shut his notebook and he walked out of the seminary classroom. The students stunned that their professor had called off class in the middle because they were daydreaming about spring outside. They just stared at the arrow, trying to figure out what the professor meant. Was he coming back? And had they made him mad and all of that? And, well, one, Kelly said, I just thought he meant we're all going to hell. He drew that big arrow down. We didn't pay any attention in class. So next week, when class started on Monday, that was on a Friday, the professor came in. He drew the arrow on the board again, the big point at the bottom. And he said, if you'll know this, You'll know everything you know, need to know about God. God always comes down. God always comes down. In the person of Jesus, God came down. Creator becoming part of creation. In the wine and the wafer, God comes down. In the baptismal waters, God's come down. And the gathering of his community to inhabit his people, the spirit comes down. If you just need to know that God always comes down for his people. God always comes down. At that moment, they had a common language, humanity. A lingua franca. So God spoke as a deity to divine court and God used his own let us. They said, let us, let us, let us. Verse three and four. Now God has his own let us. Let us to divine court. Let us go. Let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And therefore it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. From there, the Lord scattered them abroad, the face of the whole earth. God has his way. At the end of the day, the plans for the tall tower have tumbled. In fact, did you know there's still kind of a skyscraper curse out there? There's actually articles talking about every time you build a, a skyscraper, there still seems to be a, a curse associated with it. William Pesek said there's a skyscraper curse, and I quote, the desire to erect the tallest building seems to have much to do with the sudden capital inflows that pump up credit creation and confidence. It's often periods of overinvestment and financial speculation fueled by excessive monetary expansion, which drive developers and politicians to architectural one-upmanship. This financial boom is always followed by a bust, hence skyrocketing economies that built lavishly into the stratosphere soon dive dramatically into the doldrums, and you're left with a tall building you can barely finish or pay for. 
There's an odd Old Testament parallel to this Tower of Babel. It's actually the Babel reversal in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember it? Therefore, the festival of the Jews were visiting Jerusalem from all the nations. In fact, in Acts, there's a, a table of the nations like the table of nations in Genesis 10. They'd all come to Jerusalem. And while they're there, the Spirit comes out upon the church. And the apostles began to stand up and preach. And the men are amazed that every one of them, despite whatever language they speak, they hear the gospel, the story of Jesus preached in their own tongue. Those men from all the various nations and from the diverse tongues of the earth are now hearing each one in his own language is reversal of Babel. For that one, one moment when Peter stands up to preach, they are amazed. I hear it, you hear it. He's speaking all the languages at once. It's a reconstitution of a uniform language so all humanity can hear. And what does he preach? That God was at work to fulfill the prophets in the person of Jesus the Christ that you crucified him, but by the foreordained plan of God, he was resurrected on the third day. And that his spirit is poured forth this day. These men are not drunk. That your men and your women will have new visions and dream new dreams and prophesy. And all who dare hear this story of Jesus and all who will come to repentance and declare themselves sinners in need of a Savior, they will be saved from the wrath of God. Acts reverses the Tower of Babel. And all hear the message again in every language. Let me ask you some questions today. What monuments are you building today to satisfy your own pride? What monuments would we build as a church as a matter of pride? Do we build to the glory of God or to heighten our own humanity. And in your own life, personally, what monuments are you building? A career, a resume, a vita, a portfolio, accomplishments of your children? What monuments are you building to make a name for yourself? And secondly, is God asking you to go? His command for you is to scatter, and, and all we do is gather. Maybe, maybe he wants you to stay right here in Amarillo, but maybe he's called you to go somewhere else. And are, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go and fill the whole earth with the gospel? The Great Commission begins with the word, go, and make disciples. Thirdly, where does pride creep up in your life? Remember, every time you're proud of something, you're lifting yourself up. And you're worshiping creation rather than creator. You are God alone. Oh God, come down to us this morning. For we realize afresh and anew that we can never come up to you. 
Maybe there are those here this morning who need to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's the reversal of your confusion today, the reversal of your babble. You've heard the message of a crucified and resurrected Savior, and today would be your day to proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Maybe it's your, your week to join with this people called First Baptists who scatter and send others scattering to take the gospel to the whole earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.